You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And I'm your host, Keith Budden. A special welcome this week to our new listeners from Nottingham, London, Portsmouth, Guildford, Manchester, Reading, Southampton, Leicester and Sheffield. But of course you're all very welcome wherever in the UK or indeed wherever in the world you're listening to us. Um, I'd love to know where you're listening from so uh, feel free to drop me an email at podcast at insurety.co.uk and uh, let's get your town or city uh, in this list of new listeners next week. Anyway, in a moment, we'll deal with what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Thank you, every one of my listeners. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to me. Check us out on Facebook. Coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have some thoughts about the data breach at Butlins, Butlins Holiday Parks. We have some thoughts on your responsibilities as an employer to your staff under GDPR and what you need to do to ensure that you're compliant. We have a look into the report from the think tank Parliament Street into data breaches from the NHS and particularly data breaches involving patient records. And then we wind up this week's episode with some thoughts on how you cope, how you deal with people who wish to unsubscribe from your newsletter and why you should use that last gasp attempt to try and keep them on board. So in a few moments we'll be starting with the look into Butlins. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. So let's talk a little about the data breach at Butlins. Butlins have announced that they had a hacking attempt, indeed a successful hacking attempt, into their customer database. And they estimate that the details of some 42,000 of their customers have potentially been stolen. On the good news, is that there was no financial information amongst the data that was stolen, as far as is known at the moment. So that's good. On the bad news is that the hackers did manage to take uh, the name and address details of the customers, and perhaps more worryingly, the start date of when these customers were due to have their holidays with Butlins. Now, I'm sure you don't have to be a criminal mastermind to realise the potential value of that data if it was to fall into the wrong hands because the thought that the criminal fraternity could become aware of when some 42,000 properties across the UK were going to more than likely be unoccupied Uh, could do formidable damage. And I think that's why when we talk about what we do for GDPR, we always talk about protecting our client's reputation. 
because the damage that this could potentially do to Butlin's reputation is huge. And unfortunately for Butlin's, it's got nothing at all to do with holidays or the quality of their holidays or how good or bad their holiday parks may be. But actually the fact that potentially there could be a sudden surge in house burglaries um, attributable to the data lost by Butlin's. Now that could obviously generate them considerable bad press and I think could also potentially lead to a class action against them, maybe not by the individuals themselves but by their insurance companies because clearly if there is an increase in insurance claims then the insurance company are going to look to recover that loss from somewhere and the first choice at the moment would probably be Butlins. Um, now, of course this is doomsday scenario. It may well be that that data doesn't fall into any such hands at all. But it does perhaps highlight how we need to be careful with all the data that we hold and not necessarily just that that we might think is sensitive, you know. Most of us would realise that we should keep credit card details, for example, as securely as we possibly can. We should take details of customer transactions as securely as we possibly can. But I wonder, I'm guessing Butlins weren't alone in this, I wonder how many holiday companies actually think to keep the dates that their clients are on holiday as secure as they possibly can. Perhaps that will change. Perhaps it should change. What do you think? Give me some feedback. Um, if you've got thoughts on this, please um, email me at podcasts at insurity.co.uk and uh, if there's good comments there, bad comments there, I'll uh, bring them up in next week's show. I think it highlights though perhaps how we all need to be aware of data breaches because this is, if you like, a very obvious data breach. Yeah, I guess if, if I was to stop 10 companies in the street and say what would you consider a data breach probably top of the list would be somebody hacking my database someone hacking my connection someone taking the data to which they weren't entitled and whilst that's true and as this example from Butlins demonstrates can be a very damaging form of data breach it's perhaps less known that under GDPR data breaches can be very, very simple. If you put the wrong invoice in the wrong envelope and send it to the person, someone it wasn't meant to be addressed to, that's a data breach. If you send an email with an attachment with perhaps people's details in it and you send that to the wrong person, that's a data breach. If you CC somebody in an email and you don't have their permission to share their email address, that's a data breach. All these things are data breaches and yet how many of them are you actually aware of? Maybe in, maybe not next week's show, but maybe a couple of weeks time I might run a quick um, 10 question quiz and uh, just see how many of them you think are data breaches and how many you don't. But for now, consider those people who've booked holidays at Butlins 
and think about how that might apply to your organisation too. And, and hey, if you've got concerns about that and the general questions, then again, please do email at podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. Or indeed find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash insurety and uh, leave us some comments there. We do read all your comments. Due to the volume of comments we get, we can't promise to reply to all of them, but we do most definitely read them all, and, and uh, very interesting they are too, so please do keep them coming. And so that's the end of this slot on Butlin's data breach. And if there's any news from either Butlin's or the ICO before next week's episode, I will, of course, update you then. So a very short break now. And then we'll be on to the next part of this episode. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. There's a lot in this week's episode about data breaches, um, but I didn't want to make the podcast exclusively about data breaches. So I thought as well I'd talk a little about employers and your responsibilities under GDPR towards your employees and this really came about because I saw this morning details of a survey that had been conducted by the TUC of some 1,200 workers in fact they conducted the the survey in May so it was probably just before GDPR came in But that survey said that 56% of the people surveyed felt that monitoring was going on in their workplace through methods including CCTV, uh, supervisors being able to view their browsing history on their web browser and their phone logs. And in addition, 6 out of 10 believe the development of new technologies would probably make this worse in the future, uh, which is, you know, something very much to be aware of and something where GDPR has quite an impact because a lot of people are unaware that under GDPR, uh, you need to have a employee privacy policy in place. So you need a privacy policy signed and dated by each of your employees. This has to be separate to their contract of employment. It has to be optional. They don't have to sign it. Although, I'd rather say in all the experience of my 150 plus clients, I've yet to find anybody who's refused to sign it. But the key thing is, is that the employee privacy policy needs to be made clear to employees the data you hold about them, uh, why you hold it, what you do with it. Now, some of that data is going to be obvious, things like payroll. You know, you need to hold their national insurance number, you need to hold their tax code, you need to hold what salary band they're on, and you need to hold their bank details in most cases these days. Otherwise, they don't get paid. That's quite straightforward. But you need to think about other things that you hold as well. Are they on CCTV? Do you have CCTV in your premises? If you do have CCTV, where do you have it and why? And how long do you keep it for? Um, 
Other things might be, uh, for instance, do you keep their internet browser history? Do you know what your staff are looking at on the internet? Do you keep their emails? I'm aware that since GDPR came in, some organisations and companies have now removed the delete function from their email client within their company so that they're sure that if in the future anybody made a data subject access request, they could find any of the emails relating to the person who's making the request. And depending on your company or your organisation, that might be something that you need to think about. Um, and I think it's important that you, know, you, you discuss this with your employees. You, you, you tell them quite openly in your employee privacy policy what information you're holding and why and how long you're holding it for. Because they have a right to know. And that especially comes true when, if you have to take disciplinary action against them, they are entitled now to see whatever records you have whether that's conversations between yourself and a manager via um, text on a mobile phone, via email, via some internal messaging system, however you do that, they now have the rights to full disclosure. They have the rights to see those conversations. They can't see who said something or even to who it was said, but they can see what was said. So perhaps it brings back, you know, perhaps we're taking a step back here and, and there's actually room to say there should be more verbal communication rather than written communication because currently someone can't request to see verbal communication because it's not expected that it would have been recorded. So just be clear with your employees and say what data you collect, why, where, when, what do you do with it, how do you keep it secure. Can they look at it? Can they object to you storing any any of it? So i.e. is it selective or is it, you know, all or nothing? And I think Frances O'Grady, the TUC General Secretary, probably summed it up when she said that new technology should not be used to whittle away employees' right to privacy, even when they're at work. Employers should discuss and agree workplace monitoring policies with their workforces and not impose them upon them. And I think that's a good mantra. I think it should be done in a spirit of cooperation because that way you have a happy workforce. The happy workforce is a loyal workforce and that saves you on recruitment costs. So just something to think about, but might be some issues there that may not have occurred to you before. As always, if you have any feedback or you have any questions, please email me at podcasts at insurity .co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y .co.uk. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. A report released by the think tank Parliament Street has revealed some quite shocking numbers of NHS trusts who have lost patient records uh, in the last year. Um, top of the chart was the University Hospital in Birmingham who have reported that they've either lost, have gone missing or have had stolen patient records relating to 3,179 individuals. But they're not alone. 
Bolton NHS Trust in second place had either lost or stolen 2,163 records of individuals. Followed by the University Hospital Bristol with some 1,105 records lost. Now there's the top three, but in total the report was discovered across 68 hospitals, which of course is by no means all the hospitals in the country, not even scratching the surface, but across 68 hospitals, 9,132 patient records have been reported missing, lost or stolen in the last financial year. And it doesn't seem to matter whether records are held electronically or whether they're held on paper because the Royal Devon and Exeter NHS Foundation Trust, which only uses paper documents, it doesn't have any uh, records on stored electronically, which is quite amazing in today's age, really, any patient records. But uh, nonetheless, it used paper-based case notes and it reported 425 either lost or stolen during the last financial year. But if you think that, okay, maybe paper records is a bit archaic and electronic records have to be safer, then, well, think again, because in the same year, Wigan and Lee NHS Foundation Trust reported 426 lost or stolen documents despite the fact they use a completely electronic patient record system. So there doesn't seem to be a great deal of difference there, really. You know, I, I think whether I was one of the 425 in uh, Devon and Exeter or one of the 426 in Wigan, I'd still feel pretty miffed about the fact that my patient records were now potentially out in the public domain. Um, Perhaps not surprisingly for those of us who frequented hospitals, the report found that 94% of the NHS trusts who responded still use handwritten notes for patient record keeping, despite the fact that they often have electronic record system software in place too. Um, so I think it does highlight a, a, a big potential area here within the NHS. And why does this matter? Well. You know, none of us would want, I'm sure, our house records out in the public domain. Um, but it has a wider implications too, of course, because your NHS record probably contains sufficient information for somebody suitably minded to easily steal your identity. And as we know, identity theft is a, is a growing problem, and no doubt we'll carry on talking about that in future episodes of the GDPR weekly show. Um, but it's also the case, of course, that the health service by its nature remains a top target for cyber attackers. And those cyber attackers, of course, might have multiple motives. They, they might be that they're trying to steal identities, identity theft. It might just be that they're trying to wreak havoc. They're trying to bring down the system. They're trying to make the hospital not work because that's bad news for the hospital. But really, you know what, looked at from an individual perspective, it really doesn't matter whether 5,000 records are stolen or one, if you're the subject of that record. The effect on you is the same. These house authorities really do need to start thinking seriously about the implementation of GDPR 
within their organisations. You would think somebody like a health authority would have it pretty well sealed up, but the results of this survey would seem to indicate otherwise. Um, you know, an ordinary organisation, and these ordinary rare in a, in a way of meaning just non-medical, I think most of us would be quite horrified if we had 4,000 data breaches in a year. And it becomes even worse, I think, when that's people's public health records. So, I think there is scope there for the NHS to really sharpen their pencil. Uh, maybe it's something that practitioners like ourselves need to be doing, spending more time with and looking more at how we can help the NHS to overcome these problems, because they can be overcome. And a lot of it doesn't cost a lot of money. A lot of it just costs a lot of common sense. Um, but I think it does highlight a real need. So, but I'd be interested to know what you think. So if you've got any thoughts on this, whether you think this leaking from the NHS is fine, whether you think that actually that's got you really, really concerned and, and you'd really like to see it stopped, whether you can see other implications of it, whatever you think. Um, I'm always pleased, pleased to hear your thoughts. We can build it into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. And it's very much your show. You know, I present it, but, uh, but what appears in it, I want to very much focus on what you, my listeners, want to hear. So please do give me some feedback. Drop me a line at uh, podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. I do read every single email that I receive. I can't promise to reply to all of them because of the volume that we receive. But please, please, please do give me your feedback on the weekly show because I do really appreciate your input, your time that you give to listen to me. And uh, yes, please do get in touch and particularly with your thoughts about this leak from the NHS. A final thought for this week's episode about unsubscribe. As hopefully you all know, uh, any marketing email now must include an unsubscribe option at the footer of, well it doesn't have to be at the footer actually, has to contain an unsubscribe option within the marketing email itself and it has to be obvious how to do that. Remember that one of the things that GDPR brought in was the idea that to remove consent must be as easy as it was to give consent. So it needs to be just a simple tick, simple click. That's all the user needs to do to unsubscribe. But of course you hope that you keep material interesting enough that people don't want to. However, let's move on a bit from there. Let's suppose that someone has clicked on the unsubscribe button one subscribe link. What do you do? Okay, obviously in the background you've got prepared to remove them from your marketing database. They don't want to be spoken to anymore. You can either remove them or you can just change your flag on their database which makes sure they don't get any more marketing messages. But either way, the end effect is the same. You're not going to market them anymore. So instead of just doing that and displaying a page that says sorry you're going have a good life. It's been nice knowing you. It's not you, it's me. 
instead of that, take the it's not you, it's me bit and elaborate on it. Make the person who's about to unsubscribe an unmissable offer. Something that says you don't want to miss out on this and if you unsubscribe you can't get it. But if you stay part of the clan, you stay part of our following, you stay part of our um, group, tribe, you stay part of our tribes, the use of modern parlance, then you get this goodie. But if you go, you're never going to get this goodie. And it's such a great goodie, you really don't want to miss it. Now, why would you want to do this? Because this unsubscribe page is really your last chance saloon. It's your last chance to persuade this person that you're not a waste of their time, you're not a bad idea, you're actually worth sticking with, you're actually someone who's fun to be around. You're actually someone who can give them measurable benefit in their business. Or in their personal life, depending on what your what, what your uh, newsletter or marketing mail is all about. So use that one last shot, because what have you got to lose? At that point, they're hacked off with you anyway. So they're already thinking of leaving, they've already packed their bag, they've already got their train ticket, they're already standing at the door ready to put the key back through the letterbox. So what have you got to lose? Go for it. Make them an offer, they can't refuse. You'll be surprised how many unsubscribes actually then remain as loyal subscribers. But of course you have to be good to your word. So whatever that offer was, make sure you fulfill it. Perhaps reach out to them, perhaps have your customer service team reach out to that person within a few hours or the next day and provide a listening ear. Listen to what they've got to say, listen to what they don't like, listen to why they wanted to go. Because, hey, none of us are perfect. None of us have a monopoly on good ideas. So why not just listen to what those people have to say and you never know, you might turn an unsubscribe into a subscribe and some stage down the line into a repeat customer or a new customer. Worth thinking about. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.